All right, so each Sunday uh, leading up to Christmas, we're going to look to God's Word to read and experience and really consider what God has done for us. This morning, we're going to be looking at the faithfulness of God and how we can respond, really how, much, how we must respond to who God is and His faithfulness to us. As you can see on your uh, bulletins or on the screen, our sermon is titled, uh, The Promise. Church, I think Christmas is all about the promise. I don't know about you, but promise is not a word that I like to just throw around, right? I like to, I only try to use that word whenever I really intend to do something or if I'm fully able to do that, right? I want to be a man of my word. Anybody else with me? You just kind of, or a woman of your word, right? You just, anybody else like just, okay, just, all right, we got three of us. We're good, so. I don't know where I'm at. So, but anyways, man, I, I think most of us are like that. We like to keep our word. We like to keep a promise. But because we're people, sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Sometimes we mess up. We, maybe we forget. Maybe we had money to purchase something and now we don't, right? Maybe it's out of your control. But if you're honest, sometimes we make a promise and then we just don't want to do it, right? I think we just have to be honest about that. I've had moments with Jessica and my kiddos, uh, just our friends and family, where you promise to do something. And for the most part, you you know, I'm, I'm good with that. If I make a promise, I, right, babe, I, I try to do that. If I make a promise, uh, but sometimes I'm not able to come through, right? We, we have those moments, and so you follow up, I'm pr- I promise, with I'm sorry, right? We talked about that last week, you know, the whole thing of trust me. Sometimes you say trust me, and you have to follow that up with I'm sorry. Um, I would guess that we have people in here, uh, maybe all of us, that have been promised something by someone, something of significance. Someone made a significant promise to you, and you probably have experience where they kept that, but you probably have, I would say all of us have an experience where a significant promise was made and that didn't come through. Maybe it was accidental, maybe it was on purpose. But I want us to know something today. When we see the word promise, we can obviously, or we can automatically think of God. Amen, church? We can think of Jesus, we can think of our Savior. He has made a great promise and we're going to see that 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 is when 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 god makes a promise it's a sure thing it's not a i hope he comes through are you with me church like it's not he he keeps his word he will always come through it may be in a way that we fully expect or maybe in a way that we don't expect at all but god keeps his promise and this morning we're going to look at what i believe to be the greatest promise ever and that his is that is his promise for a savior to save his people and to redeem and to restore if you guys have your Bible still open, Matthew chapter 1, um, thank you for Pastor Jamie and Jennifer for reading that for us this morning. They began by reading in verse 18, but if you notice, our, our text today really begins in verse 1. So Jason's going to come up here and read all of those names he's been practicing all week. And uh, no, I'm just kidding, man. But, but we are, we are going to focus on verses 1 through 17 a bit as we walk through our text, but our main focus will be, uh, begin on verse 18. But I want to I take the time and bring our attention to the verse, first 17 verses before we dive in this morning, because even though they may, may just look like a bunch of names, right? We look at that and we're like, hey, let's just kind of skip through this. They're there for a reason. Amen, church? There's not anything in the Word of God that's not there for a reason. But let's come before God um, in prayer again and ask Him to prepare our hearts as we open up His Word this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for the, the team that came up here and led us in worship. God, I pray, Lord, as, as we are here this morning ready to hear your word, God, that we would hear and be doers of your word. There's nothing magical in what I say. You can have a thousand sermons preached, a thousand sermons heard, but it's you, God, that changes hearts. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that you would do that within us this morning. 
Prepare our hearts for what you have for us in Jesus name. Amen. So let's take a look and see how Matthew begins in verse in chapter one, verse one. He says this. He says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. So the Messiah is the Christ. It's the promised one. It's the one that's coming to be the savior, the one they were waiting for. So the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Then he says the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Matthew tells us this is the genealogy, this is the line from Abraham until Jesus, and then he lists all of those names. And so if you notice from verses 2 through 6, you have the line from Abraham, to whom a promise was made, until King David, right? And then from verse 11, or from there until verse 11, then you have from King David, and that's the same King David that was the shepherd boy that killed Goliath, right? That was King, are you with me, right? That's the same King David, so from his line until God's people went into Babylon, and I think they made that division here because nothing that man does can stop what God is doing, right? So even though God's people are in exile, the line still continues. Verse 12 through 17, we see the rest of the line that all began with Abraham through David, through that exile, all the way through Joseph, and then to Jesus, who was called the Christ, or the Messiah, and then we get to verses 18 through 25 that Jamie and Jennifer read. When Matthew uses the first 17 verses to inform us of the genealogy and the human line that brings us to Jesus, keep in mind, Matthew's writing to more of a Jewish audience, so they would have been paying attention to that. That genealogy is important to them, and we're going to come back to them in just a little bit, and we're going to look at some of those names I think if we're honest, sometimes we open up, just, I'm just going to raise our, my hand for everybody. I think when we open up the Bible, sometimes we see names, we just kind of skip through it, right? Just kind of do that. But I think you're really missing out if you do that, because when you have a kiddo, there's some really good biblical names in there. So whoever's got a child coming up, Jehoshaphat, right? Hezekiah, solid biblical names. I think that's just, that's the next for you. Anybody want to take, anybody? No? But... Anyways, I think they're good choices, but I, the, the, those names, the, the info is there for a reason, it's important, but Matthew begins to lay out for us in verse 18 what is referred to as the nativity of Christ, or the nativity of Jesus, and he begins to tell us in verse 18, he, in, he starts introducing the characters a little bit, we've got that line, Jesus is there, and then we see in verse 18 that Jesus' mother, her name was, was Mary, and she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. If you have heard anything about Christmas, you've heard about Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, right? We see that she's betrothed to him. Your translation, anybody's translation say engaged, right? That helps us understand what that period is a little bit. But it actually can confuse us a little bit in our culture because their engagement period looked nothing like ours, right? Jessica and I had a little bit less than a year. That's probably the only thing that really lined up with, with the engagement period was their time, was their time frame. But It didn't really look like ours, and so we're going to stick with the word betrothed. Is that okay? Everybody say betrothed. Betrothed. All right, you're with me. All right. So, but the betrothal came from a Jewish custom named Kiddushin, right? I won't make you say that. Kiddushin. But a man and his fiance would would get legally married. It would be legally bound, but then they would have to wait for about a year, all right? They'd have to wait about a year until they were allowed to come together and sleep together, and do married stuff together as a married couple. Are you with me? So there's that year, and here's why they did that. There was reasons behind that tradition. Preparedness, faithfulness, and purity, right? Those were held very high in their culture, and so during that time, they would use that period to test and prove the couple's readiness, their faithfulness, and the the purity of both of them. 
think a lot of times when we look at their culture, the purity, even though it was for both the man and the woman, a lot of times that focus went on the lady, right? For whatever reason, they would focus on mostly the bride for purity. And for the groom, he would be using that time to be, to be preparing a place for them to live, but also to prove, prove, I can't even talk this morning. Where's Sierra? I need help. She's my, she's our, not mine, but she's our speech pathologist for like, I, I need some help, man. Just, but so the groom, he would use his time to prepare for them, uh, to, to live, right, to prove his, his faithfulness and that he can provide for them. When we think about engagement, Jessica and I, you know, for, for she and I, that began when I bought a ring, right? We fell in love. I bought a ring, right? I went and I asked her dad for her hand in marriage. And then I, <laughs> I planned a special date, which turned into like five dates. I think my wife was just milking it a little bit. She knew it was coming. Really what was happening was... Uh, you know, it just didn't feel right one time, another time, it just, I don't know what happened, uh, took my wife to a really nice steakhouse, I'm going to get in so much trouble, uh, went to a really nice steakhouse, and my wife knew what was happening, right, and we're just sitting there, and this place just, man, like this glass of tea, man, iced tea, she got so nervous, she just knocked that thing all over the place, man, I was like, I can't propose to my wife when she did that, so I waited till the next day when I tripped her, and, you know, and then I got down on a knee, and, uh, man, that's how you do it, okay, I'm just letting you know, that's how you do it, man, so, man, but that, I got down on my knee, and I proposed to her, I asked her to be my bride, that began our engagement period, I was in control of that, and she took over everything else, but according to their custom, their marriages were usually arranged by their parents. How many people would like that, right? And we could... We... <laughs> it's my mother-in-law, folks. <laughs> all right, we're going to go down a different route. No, I'm just kidding. But we could spend all day talking about their tradition and why they did what they did. But here's the reality. It's a legal binding deal, church. Like, this is a marriage. If they were going to get out of it at this point, even though they haven't slept together, even though they haven't lived together, it's legally binding. They would have had to file and get a certificate of divorce. When we get engaged today, there's nothing legal about it, not until the actual ceremony or the guy signs. Are you with me, church? So there's, there's a lot of differences for them. But for, for them, it was, it was legal, right? They just weren't allowed to come together and live together and have uh, sexual relations for about a year. And so they're living in this town called Nazareth. They would still see each other. They would still somewhat engage with each other, right? But their, but their involvement socially would be different, right? It would just be limited. It was different. Although they were legally married, they didn't do married stuff, right? That's no fun, right? They, they had what to have been a very hard year of waiting and preparing. Are you with me, church? All right. So that's what was going on. And all of this is important because of what Matthew tells us Next, in verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found, or it was discovered, that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. Church, I think we know how babies are made, right? And none of that has happened yet. Okay, none of that has happened yet. But here is Mary, she's pregnant. But it's important to know that she was with child not by any man, but by the Holy Spirit. This was an act of God, church. This was, this was a miracle. 
And we read that, if you guys want to reflect on that, you can read about that passage with the, the angel coming to Mary in Luke chapter 1. So we read that, that Mary was found to be with child, or your translation may say it was discovered that she was with child. And so Nazareth wasn't that big of a place, and news like that would have spread. Church, they didn't need, like, hashtag Mary is pregnant on their social media. Are you with me, church? Man, it, would just, would have, it just would have spread. And Joseph discovered it. Joseph found out that his bride, the one that he hasn't come to be with yet, was with child. Can you feel the tension a little bit right there, right? Think about anybody from a small town? It's a couple people. Okay. But you, you get that idea, right? And, and people know your life. They're all up. Why do we say that? They're all up in your business, right? And so that's what's happening right here. And he figures out what's happening. Verse 19, we read of Joseph. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And we're going to see uh, this more next week, but we do know that Mary was a godly young lady, right? She was a righteous young woman. She would have had a reputation in their town for being a godly young woman. And we see from this text right here that Joseph was also a righteous man. We see right here in this text, he was a, he was a righteous man. He loved the Lord. He followed the Lord. He obeyed the law, church. And that's important because we can, we'll get to that in just a second, but also he was a merciful man. He was a merciful man. Let me talk about the mercy in him following the law. Here's what we do know. According to the law found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, if those are important to you, write these down. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24. Here's what the law says. If a bride that was legally betrothed or married to a man had sexual relations outside of that marriage, then she and whomever she was with, church, hear me out, a little bit different from our culture, she could have been taken to the city gates and stoned to death. You get the picture here? Like, this isn't just like in our culture today. It's like, oh, man, something, right? That's a mess up. No, that, it wasn't practiced a lot at this point, but that was allowed. They could have taken her out and stoned her. The other option found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says that if a wife defiled the marriage, her husband could file for divorce and send her away. In church, that was not just something that was just done privately between two lawyers. This was usually done publicly, and it would have been humiliating to marry. It would have ruined the rest of her life. Let me say this real quick. This is not God condoning divorce. Does that make sense? When we read about a certificate of divorce or anything like that, he's not condoning divorce. His desire is that they remain one, but because it's happening. We're people. It happens, right? And it happens. So because it happens, it's in the law that they can have a way to, to divorce. There's a, there's a law to protect around that. Moses' law would, would allow for divorce in certain situations following certain strict guidelines. But Moses had no desire to stone his bride, right? And he also had no desire to make an example out of her or humiliate her publicly. He had every desire to be righteous and be pleasing to God. I love that church. When they, when they first start talking about him, he was a righteous man. Didn't say he was a good looking dude. Didn't say he had a lot of money. Didn't say he was well looked at in society. The first thing to say about him, he's a godly man. Right? Let's be godly people. Let, let that be our first focus is to be, to be righteous he wanted, to, he wanted to be righteous before God and be pleasing to God, but also, church, he wanted to protect his bride as much as possible. And so he had planned to send her away and divorce her in secret so that she wouldn't be humiliated. Keep this in mind, church. Joseph is really deciding to protect her even though it appears that she has been unfaithful to him. That's a good dude, right? He had this bride that he's been waiting for, he's been preparing to do life with and have a family with, and he finds out that she is pregnant 
And we're going to see in this next verse, he's going to go to bed with all of that on his mind. Anybody ever do that? You just got a lot going on, something, and you just lay there in bed, and you can't fall asleep. You just got all this stuff on. Am I the only one? You got a few hit. Okay, man, I just hope I wasn't alone on that. But So all of this is in the background. This is what's going on. The news is out about Mary. Joseph's upset. He's about to go to bed with all this on his mind. And then, church, we're going to see God intervene. I just love this. Here's where we begin to see the promise of God being fulfilled. Church, as we look at this text, it's easy to say, oh, this is just part of the Christmas story, right? And just kind of skim through this. Or I've read this before. I can skip this part. But I want us to take a more intentional look and see and understand that there are two truths. I believe there are two important truths for us to know this Christmas season as we read from Matthew here. And that's our goal as we walk through this series together is we're going to look at some, some well-known but some not well-known passages and walk away. What does God want me to know and what does he want me to do? Are you with me, church? So that's what we want to do this Christmas. And so here's as we begin to read from verse 20, the first truth to know is this. And you could write this on the back of your bulletin if you so choose. Is that this, God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Church, we're going to see that, that God keeps his word and that he's a promise-keeping God. And that is where the genealogy comes back into play. It's important, those names. All those funny names in the first 17 verses, we're going to see why they matter in just a second. But here's where we are. Joseph has found out that his wife is pregnant. He's not going to have her stoned. He doesn't want to humiliate her. He's going to divorce her privately. And then we come to verse 20. But when he, Joseph, had considered this, to be considered means that he had thought through and he was resolved in his mind. Right? He's a righteous man, so we're going to assume that he had taken this to God. But he had considered this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. God is obviously at work here, and an angel of the Lord is a messenger of the Lord. Are you with me, guys? He's a messenger of the Lord, and God sends a message through an angel to Joseph. So even though an angel is saying this, this is from God. Really what God is saying is, I know what you're thinking, Joseph, right? I know what you're feeling. I know how this is going to make you look. I know you're feeling super bummed right now. And God calls him by name. God doesn't say, hey, you. Listen up, I've got something to, we have that view of God sometimes. He's a distant God, right? He's a personal God. He says, Joseph. He calls him by name. Church, he calls you by name, amen, right? He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. But then notice that the angel calls Joseph the son of David. Well, if you're like me, you're going to flip back and say, wait a minute. Matthew tells us that, that Jacob's dad wasn't David, right? It was it was. It was, it was a man named, named, named Jacob. But if you look back further down in that line, you see that he's in the lineage of King David. I think about that. I've got a great-grandfather with the first name of Creed, right? And so you could say Jeff, the son of Creed. Are you with me? That's kind of what, that's what's happening here. So he's in the lineage of, of King David. And if you guys want to write down some passages, I'm going to give you three of them real quick. And I'll tell you what they are. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Isaiah 11, 1. And Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. We're not going to have time to read through all of those. 2 Samuel 7, 12, 11, or Isaiah 11, 1, and Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Here's why those verses are important. They all speak to the promise from God that through the line of David, the Savior will come. Those names are there for a reason. Are you with me, church? Those names are there for a reason. And so he, the angel of the Lord is coming to him, and he calls it, he's personal with him, David, Right? I know you're freaking out right now, but don't be afraid. 
son of David, right? And you got to kind of think a little bit that maybe, maybe Joseph's going to start picking it up. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her, this is good news for Joseph, is of the Holy Spirit, right? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the promise. You ready? We're going to take a step back. Why do we care about a promise from God? Here's the reality. God created you and me and all of mankind in his image. He knits us together in the womb. Why? To walk with him and to be with him and to follow him and to be in a relationship with him, not to check with him on Sunday morning, but to walk with him all day long. We were created to be in a relationship with our holy perfect God. Amen. That's a good word right there. But something happened in Genesis chapter three. Something destroyed that. And by the way, it wasn't just in Genesis chapter three. It's in my life and your life that destroyed it too. Amen. Church, right? Adam and leave at leave Adam and leave Adam. I was thinking the leaf. I don't know. I messed up. Adam and Eve listened to the temptation and the deception and the lies of Satan. And they followed their pride church. And they disobeyed God. But before we get too hard on them, how often do we listen to the same deceiving temptations and the lies from the devil? And how often do we follow our own pride and disobey God? So yes, it was that sin, but it's your sin and my sin as well that caused eternal separation from that God that created us. It caused eternal death. Eternal death. We were created to be with God forever. But when we leave this world, church, there's not a second, third, fourth, seventh, tenth, uh, whatever they call those. I forgot the word. I don't know where you go into some weird place. Dimension, okay? I got it. Mike, I'm getting there, man. I'm getting excited, right? There's not all these dimensions. The Bible says that when we leave this body, if we're saved, we're present with the Lord, amen, right? And so if we're not present with the Lord, we're somewhere else. And I know that's not a popular message, but eternal death means hell, church. Because of sin. Separation between us and God. Eternal death. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. Right? We can't work hard enough. Man, this lie of I hope my good outweighs my bad church, that's just a bunch of fooey. That's in the Greek somewhere. Fooey. Right? There's nothing we can do about it because we have all sinned against a holy and perfect God. But God has a plan. God has a mission. Why? Because he so loves us and he makes a promise. And sometimes we go back to like places like Isaiah chapter 7 or Isaiah chapter 9 or maybe somewhere in Jeremiah. But let's go further back. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. It's the first mention of the gospel, church. Amen? Like this is exciting. God didn't wait a couple hundred years or a thousand years. He didn't wait hardly at all. He says, listen. He comes after the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. I like this. He shall bruise you. The woman's seed shall bruise you, Satan, on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's the first mention of the promise. God is saying from the seed of the woman, you, you're, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel. And we see that. Jesus suffered and he died, didn't he, church? Amen for us. That pain and the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. I love this. Notice he said, he shall bruise you on the head. It can be translated, crush your head. And to a snake, that's a crushing and defeating blow. 
all the way back in the, in the moment of sin in the garden, right after it happened, God promises that the seed of a woman will send Satan a defeating blow. And that is when Jesus dies, but he doesn't stay dead. He is buried and he rose again on the third day, just as he had promised. And he defeats all of the tools of Satan, church. Amen. Death, hell, and the grave, all those things that we're scared of. Man, Jesus just kicks their tushy and he makes eternal life possible for you and me. That's the promise. Amen. Because they've got sin. Joseph's got sin. Mary's got sin. You and I have sin. So the angel comes to Joseph and she says, hey, she is going to bear a son, not conceived from man. This isn't anything humans can come up with. This is me. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. By the way, the very name Jesus, it means Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. Jesus means God saves. Amen, church? Amen. All right. God is a God of the details, right? He's working out all the details. He's in control of every little detail all the way down. Not even the exile in Babylon could have stopped what God was doing. The angel is telling Joseph, don't freak out, dude, right? Don't be afraid. This is all part of the plan and the promise of God. I'm getting excited. Some of you guys just need to like get fired up a little bit, right? Let's just go, man. This is good. Verse 22 says this, now all of this took place, just in case we haven't got it yet, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet when the prophet says this, behold, the virgin, well before church, well before we ever knew about this, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We were created to be in the image of God, or in the image of God, to be with Him. We messed that up. Jesus came to be God with us. And I think at this moment, bells are going off in Joseph's head. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. Joseph would have known this prophecy. He would have known how the Savior was going to come. He would have known that there's this promise. He would have known that the Savior was going to come through the line of David. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't think, and I think we can see this from the text, I don't think when Joseph first heard this, I don't think he was thinking about this at all right? He wasn't thinking, oh, no, no, Mary wouldn't have cheated on me. This, this child has to be from God, right? That's what's happening right here. I, I must be um, married to the virgin that's going to give birth to the Savior. That's, what, that's not what he was thinking right away, right? Because he's going to send her away. But I think right now it's making sense to him. The angel is telling Joseph, God made a promise and it's happening. It's happening. The woman you're betrothed to, she's still a virgin, The conception is a miracle of God. By the way, a lot of times at Christmas we celebrate the the birth of Christ. It's the conception that's amazing. Births happen all the time. I got to calm down and lose my voice, right? This child didn't come from any man. It comes from God. In fact, the one she is carrying is, in fact, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. But here's the point. We were created in the image of God to be with God, to walk with him and follow him. By the way, you want to know how to get closer to God? Walk with him, hang out with him, be with him, right? We mess that up. Our pride, our sin left us broken. It leaves us spiritually and eternally dead. It leaves us separated from the God that loves us and created us. But that's why we were created, church, to walk with him. And now we no longer have that. Right? We no longer have that. But because God so loves you and me, even if you reject him, he made a promise and he kept that promise. When I say that even if you rejected him, I think when we make those statements 
or not statements, when we make those actions, when we sin, we're rejecting God in those moments. Before we come to know Christ, there's that rejection of him. The Bible still says, talks about to believe and turn to Christ. But because God so loves you and me, he made a promise and he kept that promise. Here's the cool part. Jesus came when he was supposed to. Jesus came how he was supposed to. Just as it was foretold. He keeps his word, church. And here's another thing we need to think about. Jesus doesn't stay a baby. We often lose sight of that at Christmas, right? We have a baby and we keep him as a baby. Are you with me? We do that. And, but Jesus, here's what happened. He didn't say a baby. He grew, he lived, he taught, he did miracles, right? He struggled, right? He had people tempting him. He lived a sinless life. And then just as the angel said to Joseph, he, Jesus, God with us, he came. That's why he came. He came to save his people from their sins. And he took your sins. He took my sins. He took your kids' sins. He took your enemy's sins, right? He took them to the cross and he died your death and my death. And he was buried in the ground. But then he rose again. And the Bible tells us that if we believe in Jesus, that he is Lord, we read that in Romans chapter 10, if we believe that he is, we confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, right? That he rose again after dying for your sins, that we will be saved. God kept his word. He is a promise-keeping God, and we have to respond to that. Our first response is, do we know Jesus? Is God calling you to follow him, and are you going to respond to that? The angel says, and we'll get to that in a second, here's, Here's how must we respond. Here's how we must respond. The first truth is this. God keeps his word, and because he keeps his word, we must respond by obeying his word. We must respond by obeying his word. And we see Joseph and Mary do exactly that. Verse 24. Remember, Joseph and Mary were legally married. She's pregnant. Joseph is planning to send her away secretly so that he doesn't make life more difficult for her. The angel says, hold up, man. It's all good. In fact, this is perfect. This is part of the plan of God. You and Mary are part of this promise that God has made. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's pregnant with the Savior of the world. This is God keeping his word and his promise, right? We have all of that. In that conversation from the angel, the angel tells him in verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people. He will save his people from their sins. And then we see Joseph respond to God in verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and got on Facebook and asked all of his friends what he thought they thought he should do. Joseph awoke from his sleep and just kind of hung on to that for a little bit to make sure that his friends would still like him. He woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gives birth to a son and then he called his name Jesus. Church Joseph responded to God by obeying the word of God. Sometimes we look at the word of God and we think, God, really? Have you ever been there? Like, really? You want me to live that way? You want me to follow that verse and that passage? God, did you forget us 2019 things have changed a little bit? God, I'm not sure you understand what that will do to my life. I'm not sure you understand that, how that will make me feel. I'm not sure you understand how hard that will be for me. God, are you, are you sure people might look at me funny? People might look down on me. God, this is going to be uncomfortable. God, I love you. Thank you for keeping your word to me. But really, this, 
You want me to obey this? Mary and Joseph, let's look at their context a little bit. When God spoke, they listened and they responded. Their response was this it was complete trust and absolute obedience. Complete trust and absolute obedience. Not partial trust, not partial obedience. To respond to God by obeying Him, we must have complete trust and absolute obedience to who God is. Here's the reality. In your life, we don't always see the big picture. We don't always know why. We might not even agree. But God is still God. And He's proven that He's perfect. He's proven that he is worthy of your full surrender. Mary and Joseph must have trusted God, church, because both of them, for both of them, this was the, there was every earthly reason not to follow him. Think about their context. Every earthly reason for them to say, I don't think so, God. But God gave them every eternal and spiritual reason to follow him. Right? They didn't follow him halfway. They didn't say, God, I'm going to skip over verse 18. Right? I know what you said here, but I'm going to follow this. But I, I can't do this. I just can't do that. They trusted and obeyed completely. So we see they obeyed God because they fully trusted him. And then we also see that part of obeying God is this. They exampled and lived out church self-denial. Self-denial. Mary... Ladies, think about this. I'm sure didn't have this in her future plans. Right? She was faithful. She was righteous. She was living a pure life. She was waiting for her husband. She probably had her friends and her neighbors and her families that thought well of her. Right? She's got this. She she knows who's going to be in her wedding party. She knows how it's all going to look. The wedding in that day, they'd have their year of engagement period, and they had about, what, seven days of, of the ceremony. Right? She, she had it all planned out. She knew how she's going to decorate in their house as Joseph was building it. She's had all these plans going on. Maybe she had what the wedding celebration would look like exactly. But she took all of that aside, put it over here to pursue and follow the will of God for her life. And then with Joseph, you have a man that's probably super excited to have this wife. He's got these plans, right? He's a righteous, he's a faithful man. He's got a great reputation. He, like us men, right, he would have had plans, right? He's building up. He's doing all these things. He's, he's, I, I doubt that having a pregnant wife before, he, before they came together was part of his plan. And let's be honest here. I'm, I'm sure he was ready for the day, man, when he could come physically together with his wife. But he denied himself to pursue and follow the will of God in his life. He even responded by, by using the name, obeying the, the name he was given, right? He might have wanted to, to name the child Joseph Jr., right? Or maybe Jacob after his dad, right? But he named him Jesus because that's what God told him to do. And, all, and, and along with all of that, obeying God takes complete trust. It takes self-denial. In church, it also takes a willingness to embrace inconvenience. There was nothing convenient about what God has called them to do. 
But Mary trusted and obeyed regardless of what lied ahead. Why? Because God is a good, good God that keeps his word. And Joseph, he awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. He kept her a virgin until she, she gave birth to Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph, nothing about this was convenient for Joseph. Others are going to talk about him. It's going to make life more difficult, right? It wasn't convenient to wait to be with his wife physically. It wasn't convenient to follow God here, but he trusted God and he followed God's word. For us today at Christmas, we're reminded that God is a personal God. He knows your name. He's a God that's in control of all the details. He knows what's going on around you. Do we get that this morning? Like he knows what's going on around you. And he's a promise-keeping God. And so that leads us to our proper response is to obey him, to obey his word. To trust and obey, to be willing to deny ourselves for his glory. And be willing to walk through inconvenience. And here's the reality, church, you can't do that on your own. I can't do it on my own, but we can do it through the power of God working through you. The strength to follow Jesus in this way comes from him. It comes from two things. One, a kept promise. And two, a remarkable name. God kept his promise to come and be the Savior. We can fully follow and trust God because he keeps his word. And we can follow God in this way because because even the very name of Jesus is God with us. He came to save us. He came to save you. He is with you if you know him as your Savior. That's a good word. Jessica and I were talking yesterday. We're walking through some stuff where it's just like this is inconvenient. This is self-denial. God, what are you doing? But he's good. And I believe it. So we trust him and we follow him. Amen? Christmas time is a time to celebrate and have fun and be full of joy. But it's also a very difficult time for people. We live in a broken world. There's brokenness in your world. But there's a God that isn't broken. He loves you. He came to restore you and rescue you and comfort you and to be with you. This Christmas, know that he is he's a God that's so good. Knowing what you have done in your life, he pursues you. He has what is best for you. He did come as a baby, but he came to give his life for you in your place and to restore that broken relationship and save your tushy for eternity. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, if you're saved, let this time of year remind you to trust God. Let it remind you to follow him, to hear from him and obey him. Church, let it be a time of year where your life and your words point others to Jesus. Amen? Man, we keep this promise to ourselves. We're not, we're not being obedient to the word of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, 
Maybe you've been let down by others. Maybe someone very important to you broke a promise. Maybe you see too much brokenness where you just say, man, how could there even be a God? Maybe you yourself let yourself down. Does that, is that proper English? I don't care. Maybe you have let yourself down. But God is a God that has proven himself to be good and faithful and true. And he's a promise-keeping God that loves you and he came for you. Will this season be the time that you surrender to Jesus? Because while the gifts and the parties and all that stuff is great, it's about the Jesus that came to die and rise again for you. Why? To restore what was broken by our sin. We're all sinners, amen? And we all mess up. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is God drawing you near to him today? God wants to save you. How will you respond? For those of us that have responded to Christ and have been saved by Jesus, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can follow him. You can obey him. Even when it's hard. Because he knows what he's doing and he loves you. Church, we have to point other people to Jesus. We don't have a choice. We have to obey God. And there are people all around us that are walking through this broken world and will remain broken for eternity. Will we tell people about Jesus?